Good evening and welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. I'm your host, Brendan O'Leary, and joined as always by my delicious co-host, Robert McLeod VII of Kincardine, Ontario. So Rob, why don't you tell the good people out there what we're talking about this evening? We're going to be discussing break times in mainstream schools. So if you've heard the word mainstream school and you're like, I'm not 100% sure what that means, you're probably new to us. Or if you are just new to us in general, uh, we use some terminology on the program, traditional mainstream and progressive schools. And if you are brand new to us, skip ahead to the last five minutes of this episode. We give you a quick run through an addendum, if you will, of the terminology, a glossary. That's the word I was looking for. A glossary at the end uh, that explains all these terms. But today, the mainstream approach to break times at school. So this is the coach-athlete kind of model relationship within the school. This is the sort of meritocracy, modern series of kind of uh, responsibility like flow charts or ladders in terms of the school organization. And we're going to attempt to kind of revisit some ideas about what a traditional uh, approach to break time looks like, and then what the mainstream approach brings in, and then in the end, kind of break down the pros and cons, the babies and the bathwaters. Break times, this almost seems a little bit silly to try and do like, what we'll probably turn into a five-hour episode on break times, but you and I really had to scratch our heads a lot about this one, and maybe you can just kind of fill in people some of the challenges we had teasing this apart uh, as we prepared for today's episode. Yeah, like some things are so obviously different, such as the way somebody assesses a piece of work in a mainstream, a progressive or a traditional school. And there's lots to dig in, but it's pretty obvious how they're different. This idea of break times or recess, as I believe they're called in North America. Um, it's like a blank canvas. It's like, okay, how would three different mindsets of traditional mainstream progressive deal with the fact that it's just a bunch of kids having some free time? It's very interesting when you dig into it, but it's really hard to pick apart initially how a traditional school break would look different from a mainstream or a progressive. Um, but we'll do our best. And I think maybe we dig a little into the historical kind of beginnings of this idea um, that I guess emerged from the common sense need for children who were at school way back in the mid 19th century um, to need a break for everybody, the teachers, the kids to, to have an hour or so. Um, and, and way back then they were unsupervised and you know, students could basically, they'd bring their lunch and they'd find a space to eat. They'd bring their what, toys or whatever they had and had the free run of the area. And if you happen to live near some fields, a river, or, you know, we're talking uh, Mark Twain kind of stuff here, of course, you know, you had the free run and, and um, be back in an hour and try not to break your leg. Um, little by little, you know, even in the traditional model, it began to, you know, they, they would enclose a space and essentially, especially in urban areas where, um, you know, parks began to, to kind of emerge and play areas for children um, 
needed those spaces and, and they did not exist in, in urban areas um, a century or so ago. The idea was then we'll bring that kind of notion into the school area and we'll fence it off and we'll have a playground or a play area, um, a dedicated area, maybe some swings and some, some kind of places to play. Um, but still, it was, you know, the traditional school would have unsupervised and, you know, you bring your, bring your own lunch and uh, basically the teachers will be off having their break. It's their break time too. Um, I don't know if you want to fill us in a little bit uh, about how that changed and became what we now see in, in the mainstream. So one really important part there, this idea of when it's the student's break time, it's also the teacher's break time. With this kind of more traditional, unsupervised approach, there is this underlying traditional, I guess, social agreement that you are supposed to follow the rules even when I'm not around. So there was this kind of trust of like, yeah, you've got this hour to go off and do your own thing, but it's common sense. It's your, you know, you need to be following these rules and it's up to you. It's your duty to make sure you're still following those rules. So this is your kind of time to demonstrate that you have that capacity within you. And when we were preparing for this, we, I was trying to look through some, historical records of like what would go on during these times and in north america oddly enough the original term for recess or break was nooning because basically from noon till one o'clock essentially yeah school door would just be closed teacher have a bit of their own time and from noon to one o'clock in most states and most provinces at least in uh, the u.s and canada it was just one hour of unsupervised time and it was kind of like the kids just kind of self-organize and just socialize and do their own kind of thing for that hour. Obviously, that's dramatically different uh, in most modern and particularly Western contexts. Um, a few different things kind of started to creep in over the next couple decades and century and a half or so. Probably the biggest one uh, being some of the like legal liability issues that kind of creep in and inform what this free time looks like. Staff need to be responsible for supervision. So no longer is the student's break time also the teacher's break time. It is often the teacher's break time, but you know there'll be a few times a week where now maybe you are set to be outside in a certain spot of the school watching a certain area, and you now have this new duty to be like on the outlook. Whereas, you know, maybe more in the traditional approach, it's like, well, it's not like the teacher has abandoned you. They are there if you come get them. But that's certainly not the way it works in the mainstream approach with our kind of legal systems and liabilities. It's sort of like, well, if something does happen, like the schools are liable if they didn't have someone there available already to like engage with the situation and be there first on the scene, all that kind of a thing. So yeah, it really seems like, you know, the emergence and kind of focus in the seventies with like the health and safety responsibilities, um, health and safety acts at work, all these sorts of things throughout the nineties. It's like this idea that not only should students have their free time, but they should have their free time and be guaranteed to the best of our 
our ability a, the safest possible break time that they could have. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's probably the biggest change in recess beyond the enclosure of the space within the school, which uh, traditional school works, you know, one of its core underpinning values is that of security. And so putting that fence around, again, it's kind of an ongoing negotiation somewhat, what level of security would, be ha would we have? But once you get into mainstream school, a negotiation, especially through the legal system and the, the wider ramifications, such as those health and safety laws, it's kind of an ongoing negotiation of where's that line? How much supervision do we need? What is a responsible um, thing for a school to do when you're overseeing a hundred or so kids? What's the ratio of, of uh, adults to kids? These are all things that have come in as the mainstream, I guess, tries to codify what the limits are and pays more attention to those kind of the, the lines that separate um, legal and illegal, safe and unsafe, whereas the traditional definitely would kind of play around with those, those kind of ideas a lot more. And it would often be up to the master or the, the, the head of the hierarchy just to decide that. And, and one of the criticisms of the traditional is this isn't necessarily always the most con consistent because it does go off the convictions of the people in charge. The idea here is that, well, we're not going to leave all our kids at the whim of whoever's deciding what should happen. Those days are gone where we give you like a, you know, unconditional trust that you're going to oversee our kids. And, you know, you, you'll often get the romantic notion that we've lost a lot from that. And maybe we have lost something from that. But the, the fact is that our playgrounds are supervised now and the equipment is, is checked so that, you know, they are, the kids are going to school to have a, a good time and have fun and to learn. Uh, and the mainstream school doesn't see that there's a place for them to be injured in that. And if they do, the responsibility falls on the people who are acting as parents, i.e. the school. Um, some people might say that's a spoil sport way to go, but that's where we're at. We, we're, we've negotiated our way now to having set breaks, set equipment, safety checks, recess duties, and so on. But there's a bunch of other stuff has happened as well. Um, and one of them that comes out of this idea of the mainstream uh, need or want for transparency and consistency and, and equality is uh, agreements or rules for safe play, you know, and for fun play and for inclusive play to, to some, some extent. Um, Again, one of the, the criticisms of the traditional might be that the teacher gets to decide in the moment and humans are not always the most consistent. And so we might make a decision on day one or day two that are totally different. And this is seen as unfair and, and, and not in line with the equality that the mainstream school is aiming for. And so, you know, there should be the same consequences of outcome for uh, a child who breaks the rules on day one as a, as a child who breaks on day two to a large degree. And that's, they're, they're explained ahead of time to the kids. Sometimes you'll put these agreements together um, as a group and talk about, you know, what are our responsibilities as well as our opportunities and the, the consequences are consistent and generally not punitive. They're generally to teach you that, um, 
you know the, the punishment fits the crime if you if you hurt somebody over here you got to make it up to them and you got to kind of rebuild that relationship with them but at its core bringing in those transparent and clear rules that arguably weren't there in the traditional recess time yeah and and that idea that it's both the teacher and the school you you said this but the teacher and the school and the student share responsibility for that safety during break time and both the teacher and the students share responsibility uh, to like uphold the their procedures for how you deal with things so you know a lot of schools will have some kind of a procedure for students like oh if someone's doing something you don't like say stop first and then if it doesn't stop then come see the teacher who will be there and then the teacher then will check did you say stop and then you know if you did then they proceed you know in these sorts of ways so there is like you say it's it's stated ahead of time traditional would see when things go wrong students fault they didn't use their common sense their problem not mine and then as we move into mainstream there's this more i guess kind of balanced view of who's responsible for ensuring that safety and that social cohesion and all those sorts of things yes we now have enclosed spaces we have transparent agreements rules procedures for things during break times but it's not just all being outside and sort of like free play there's also the opportunity for more opportunities to go on so no longer is the time at recess just hey get out of the school building and go do something for 20 minutes or an hour there's also this interesting kind of mainstream idea to kind of get the most out of our break times and to provide the largest number of opportunities possible so there might be some teacher organized clubs during this time there might be intramural sports teams for example uh, there might be some kind of like crafting club or music club or art club, literally any subject you can think of. There's potentially a club in a mainstream school being offered once a week, possibly a few times a week, possibly even every day, uh, depending on what the school is able to organize and to offer. So this can also include, you know, just things like open library time. So maybe you don't feel like going outside. You just want some quiet to read or whatever. Um, all of these sorts of things. So there's a lot potentially happening during the break times. What about equipment, Brennan? Because we kind of hinted at the very earliest iteration of the nooning kind of approach to break time. It was up to the kids to bring any equipment that they wanted. There weren't school or class balls or this sort of thing. By mainstream, we kind of make this flip where it's like, no, 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 don't bring your stuff to school. <laughs> In most mainstream schools, there's this sense of like, no, it's a liability. If something goes wrong, or your stuff goes missing. This is an extra problem. The school will provide you with equipment for your breaks. So what does this kind of look like? I guess the first thing will have emerged is, is that we, we described the beginning of swings and slides that would mirror the kind of play parks that you would find, play areas that would find it in um, around the cities or towns, um, that kind of evolved, I guess, most schools. Now, a lot of schools, especially with younger children, will have things like a jungle gym or a climbing frame or something like that, kind of a generic thing that kids can climb on and play around. Although health and safety legislation does often mean that those are kind of disappearing as well in some cases, but but those kind of exist. And, 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 um, 
then as you say, smaller kind of pieces of school provided equipment, often footballs. And I've, I've been in schools where, you know, each class will get a ball or whatever, you know, there'll be a basket um, with a whole different range. And we've, we've currently got like a shed, it has little scooters in and things like that. So the kids it, can go in and get those and those are responsible play agreements and so on. And sometimes there's like a, you know, daily rotor of like, you can use these balls on these days or, or whatever. Those are all kind of in, in line with the mainstream mindset as well of like, you can use this equipment, but we've uh, maximized it so that certain days are good for it or, you know, this is this is the best time so that everybody gets most, uh, including like the zones, you know, the kind of like this zone of the area is like for soccer or football and, and this zone might be basketball. There's a place where you can just have open, flip, you know, tag games and so on, or you can have picnic tables and you can hang out. So I think in terms of the big equipment, your jungle gym kind of things, the smaller equipment, your balls and, and nets and so on. And then the zones where people can play that, that those are all things that you would see emerge more and more in a, a mainstream school. And in some of these cases, there's like a play facilitator. It's like not the person on duty who's supervising, but I've been in schools where like um, at certain times, a member of staff would go out sometimes. And in Britain, we have like um, higher level teaching assistants. Um, they kind of refer to as in they have more responsibilities than, than, the, than the regular teaching assistants. And some of the, in some schools, those, um, members of staff might go out and lead like hopscotch games or or kind of games that, that if you show children a few times how to play, they'll start to play them themselves or games that are a little more complex that without an adult there, they probably won't kind of play um, or you, you have a specialized, you know, specialism in them. Yeah, when you dig into it, all of these are attempts to bring more opportunities for play. And again, the mainstream is about maximizing opportunity. And so these are all ways that the mainstream school has attempted to expand what's possible at break to its credit. So we have the spaces mapped out quite clearly, but we also have the timeframes mapped out very clearly. So, you know, in a large school, you may have more students than you have possibly space to like safely play outside or just even comfortably play. So in a more traditional school, you're going to see, you know, break time is from this time to this time for everybody. However, in a mainstream school, you may see like actually staggered times for breaks where, you know, maybe a few classes, grades one to three go at this time, grades four to six go at this time, et cetera, just to be able to make the most out of the space and out of the break times that you have. And, you know, maybe one class has an extra class before they get out to break or whatever, just to keep that staggered. As well, during the break time, the time is really clearly defined. So in the old fashioned nooning example, it's sort of like, well, you've got an hour to have your lunch and play and do either of those whenever you want. However, in a more mainstream school, especially if, you know, there are things that are staggered and you've got a lunch room that also has, you know, a rotating schedule or this sort of thing, it's really important that we stick to the times. And, you know, in a lot of schools, for example, if they have a canteen or a cafeteria, it might be something like, no, no, you only have the first 20 minutes of that hour long break for eating. And then you have to be outside because there's not someone on duty remaining in the canteen with you. You know, you have to be outside whether you are finished eating or not 
And hey, if you did finish eating in the first five minutes, you have to sit here for 15 minutes until you are, you know, able to go outside. So there's these really clearly defined times um, within the schedule. And as well, you know, not only do the students have to adhere to these, but staff as well. Like we talked about with the liability thing, if your duty starts at 1.15, you know, you better be already out there at 1.14 to relieve the person who's already out there. You need to be punctual because heaven forbid something happens during that time, you're not there. Definitely in the mainstream system, the liability is going to come back on you for not having been there on time. Um, we already touched on this, or I kind of already jumped to this a little bit, Brennan, but we talked about this idea of break time also being an opportunity for students to kind of practice social rules, social engagements, these sorts of things. Anything more to say about like conflict resolution and how students and staff deal with conflicts outside? Basically to reiterate that in a mainstream school in this area, as in all other areas, it's an aim for transparency and consistency. And so those rules are clear and there will be conflicts. We know that they, they will happen, but when they happen, there's a protocol for what you would do. There's specific acceptable behaviors um, and they're, they're set out ahead of time. So if someone does hit you or call you a name or irritate you, annoy you, it, it, it isn't acceptable in a mainstream school to hit them back. Uh, not that it necessarily was in a traditional school, but it's very explicit in a mainstream school that if you do this and if you retaliate, uh, then the consequences will match you as much as the person who was the aggressor and so these protocols especially things like the i statements which we use which is kind of being very clear to the person that is is agree you know who you have a grievance with of how you feel what they did to cause this or how, what you believe they did to cause this and what you would what you need from them to to rebuild that relationship and so Conflict resolution is a whole big thing that we could get into, and maybe we'll get into another episode. But in the mainstream school, these clear protocols and, and clear sets of agreements agreed to ahead of time, and they would not turn a blind eye. It would be that we want to know, we want to shine a light on these patterns of behavior and these conflicts, and we want to make the school a place where conflicts are resolved in a in a uh, in a clear transparent and, and fair and just kind of way um if we if we get into this um the idea of taking away breaks in a traditional school it might just be a punishment you do something wrong you know the teacher step out of line you you could lose your break and again the punishment might not always fit the crime in a mainstream school, if you were to lose your break time, it would be um, probably described as a chance to reflect and to kind of get your head straight to work at what you should have done differently. What choices should you have made differently? Often mainstream schools will define conflict resolution about the choice of the individual. You chose to do this. Um, and of course the traditional and progressive knows that everyone chooses, but in traditional school, you might not hear that language as much. So if you were to lose your break time in a mainstream school, it would be very clear why. And, and the break time would be filled with a reflection time 
or maybe if you hadn't completed something that you were expected to do. Again, you might see this in a traditional school, but if it, if it were happening in a mainstream school, it'd be very clear why. You have not completed this work and you need to complete it. You overstepped the boundaries in this way. You broke our agreements. We need you to reflect and come up with a way that you can you know, kind of fix this. Um, again, no school is, is ever completely traditional, completely mainstream and so on. So you will see little bits of this and there's blurred lines between, but the punishment does fit the crime in a mainstream school and conflict resolution is transparent and equal. Yeah, and one of the other things that, you know, I saw a lot in Canada in my few years there was the shift towards the idea that you do not keep students in at break as a punishment. I think this is very much a mainstream idea, just saying, look, this isn't effective or efficient. Yes, you might need some time at break to talk to the student so that it's not disrupting the rest of the class, but keeping them in only makes them more agitated, only makes them more likely to have more conflicts in the afternoon, this sort of a thing. So there is this shift in mainstream, and I'd say definitely leaning towards progressive side of it, uh, where we just say, no, no, no. The kids still go out regardless of what happened. They need some time to themselves. We do not remove their ability to make free choices or that break time from them. And as well, you, when you were talking about the clear procedures and processes for conflict resolution, one of the new things that the mainstream school approach to this brings is this idea of documenting what happens at breaks consistently. Now, not every mainstream school, but many will have some kind of paperwork you need to fill out if the school agreements, the rules, whatever uh, happened. And an incident, not just a huge, you know, Donnybrook 10-person fist fight type of a thing, but even the smaller things, those get documented. And, you know, that can be used as data at some future parent meeting. And it's not just the troubled kid who we need to keep you know, a paper trail on. It's every student. Anyone who does this is going to, you know, have the same consequences. And we have some kind of way of documenting. So we have data to look back on and not just anecdotes about, oh, well, there was that one break where they did this. I think it was in April. It's like, no, no, we've got the date, the time, exactly what happened, who was involved, all this sort of stuff. It's written up. I am... Um... The school I worked in was really, uh, it was one of the most effective things they did. And, and it actually really helped uh, me to talk to parents with a, a kid who'd had, you know, a fair number of conflicts during break times. But when we looked at the number of break time conflicts he's had the year before, it was like a stack, like, you know, like 10 centimeters high of these conflict things and like and I showed his mom like this year it's just two centimeters high so it's like you can actually see that he is definitely having fewer conflicts even though they still exist because two centimeters worth of conflict is still a fair chunk but you know things like that we're documenting and we're able to go back and evidence and, and that that's all in line with the idea of being fair being just being transparent, being measurable, that all underpins the mainstream value system. If it's okay with you, Robert, maybe it's time to move on to what is good about this. What specifically, the babies as we call them, what specifically jumps out as being positive about this approach? What I like here is the explicit nature 
of promoting strategies for responsible social behavior, play, and conflict resolution. Now, you could arguably kind of bundle all that up and throw it under the term of common sense. Like, of course, we want socially appropriate behavior, play, and conflict resolution. But especially in primary school, and it, this certainly doesn't go away the higher you move up the school, but certainly in primary, it's nice to have promulgated, have made public the expectations, to make public, you know, the procedures, the consequences, the agreements, all these sorts of things, that everybody's on the same wavelength. And regardless of what teacher it is, regardless of what student it is, in theory, it's part of the school's culture. And it's one that we want to reinforce the kind of place we want to be spending our time in. So the fact that those things are made explicit and ideally as efficiently and effectively as possible, you know, as few rules or as a few agreements as possible, make, get the most of them. I think that is a huge positive uh, improvement from the more traditional approach of like, come on guys, be reasonable. Let's use our common sense here. And then, as you said, things are kind of up to the whim of the teacher and their discretion. And yes, maybe there are some things we've lost with that, but there are certainly some bathwaters of that approach that we've moved beyond as well. Yeah, absolutely. That that transparent set of agreements and the promoting the social responsibility, the the play together in that transparent way. Common sense isn't that common. Common sense is cultural. Common sense is something you learn. And and one of the things that you know the idea is making thinking visible has become quite a, a common term in education. And it it what it acknowledges that is that actually if we speak these words and we discuss these, then we don't have to leave it to common sense. We can actually have an agreement of how we uh, work together. W one thing that, that um, has come about by increasing, I guess, the supervision and those protocols is that, you know, there's, students are essentially safer from, from physical injury. Now, I don't have the, the data here, of course, but I know from experience when we are further away from a particular place and there's less supervision, uh, there may be uh, more risky play that goes over the boundary of what's kind of, you know, safe. And we talked with, with Mark, my colleague, a few episodes ago about this notion of risky play or play-based learning that takes into account, you know, a little bit of, of, of healthy risk and having a supervisor there who can be the right distance away to kind of watch and allow students to take those risks, but also can kind of step a little bit in to just be like, okay, let's try it a little bit differently. Now, again, a traditional mindset might say that that's not allowing them the space. And we will come to this when we get to the, the bath waters, but the thing is it does reduce, um, it does reduce injury. It, it allows that risky play to happen with the right level of supervision because it's explicit and conscious supervision. And one area that we haven't talked about yet that, that definitely has come uh, more to the forefront in the mainstream school, and it, it happens a lot at recess time, is, is bullying or anti-bullying. Schools will have explicit anti-bullying um, 
protocols and uh, programs in place that often includes body systems at break or there might be an area where you can you know so, so i've seen schools that have like a buddy bench where you can go and sit and then somebody in a class might go over it and pair up with you to help you and it's addressing the system addressing the issue more explicitly how do we play together uh, what happens when someone does a kind of aggrieve you what happens when this repeated bullying kind of happens it, it brings it out into the light and i think that is uh, not directly related to recess but it's it's in that conflict resolution kind of area and it's a it's a real positive that um you know a few generations ago that the endemic bullying that might have happened in some places it, it definitely more focus and attention is paid on that. We're not there yet. It still clearly happens in a lot of places, um, but it is definitely much more on the radar of the mainstream school. One other huge positive here is just the idea of access to more playground equipment to promote fun, but also this idea of like the clubs and the organized activities that are going on during the school time, typically most of them free and open to essentially all students or perhaps students within a certain age range or whatever. But this is huge in terms of what's being offered in a child's life. You know, taking socioeconomic factors into play, maybe a child's coming from a family who can't afford an instrument and private lessons and et cetera, et cetera. But the school's providing them with an instrument they're giving them music lessons and the opportunity to play in a school band three days a week, these sorts of things. Um, you know, the intramural sports clubs, that was a huge one for me in the public school that I went to. Uh, we had, you know, one or two super motivated staff members who organized essentially a pretty solid system from grades four to eight, where I think it was kind of like grades four to six, you kind of just got to play. And then by the time you got to seven and eight, you know, this is a school that went from kindergarten to grade eight by seven and eight, you know, it was kind of expected that you might be helping out referee one of the games at lunch during the week, you know, and you can still play the other four out of five a week. And, you know, you might do some of the warmups with some of the younger kids, these sorts of things. And, you know, in the end, the school still had a basketball team. So, you know, they've kind of been creating their own little farm league of building up, you know, a pretty decent basketball team but also floor hockey team and volleyball team and all these sorts of things that if it's only up to extracurricular activities or the lesson you know the time during phys ed or sports lessons um you know kids just wouldn't have these kinds of opportunities without these organized activities during breaks yeah and i guess the only other thing we've got here it kind of touches on the idea of transparent agreements and and stuff and um the idea that you know the break's yours it's it's uh, your time uh, it's best for everyone if you do get that time to let off steam and you know, there's empirical evidence to back this up um and the consequences for you missing it will be very very clear and and will make sense as in this is a time to reflect um, or like he was saying, you know, you wouldn't miss it at all. There'd be other times where it's like, we need to reflect on this. This isn't, this isn't finished, but go have your break, stay out of trouble, you know, play, and then we'll, we'll have a chat later and so on. So it's clear and transparent. However, as with all of these things, there are bathwaters, the things that we do want to throw away. So what are some of those, Robert? 
this has become a bit of a trope in modern society, but if you take what a break time looked like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, and compare it to now, what most people will do who lived through those earlier eras is go, well, we used to be able to do X. We used to be able to do this. And it's almost like this game of like shoring off what you can't do and removing the things that you used to be able to do and whittling it down to this uh, very kind of small, limited range of things that are possible. Now, the explanation that I was often given when I was teaching in Canada was essentially like, well, we used to be able to do X, but then there were a few lawsuits or situations where a student got hurt or something happened or the parents sued. And basically the school board can't afford to do that again. So now we can't do that. Now, of course, there are some like blatantly obvious things that it's like, yeah, of course, we probably shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. But we do get into these more, you know, kind of common complaints or absurdities where, you know, there'll be some fluke accident happen with something that's like, oh, now we can't use balls that are blown up to a density of more than X number PSI because, you know, someone lost a tooth on something and then we can't do this. And, you know, sometimes it's more the legal system that is informing what our break times look like as opposed to developmental science um, or what would benefit the students the most. Uh, and, you know, it also comes down to things like factoring in timetables and staff availability and all these sorts of things that there are many things invisibly circling around that break time that are informing what you can or cannot do in there. And unfortunately, there are some really good beneficial things we've had to give, in, to give up along the way just for legal reasons. And the largest thing I think that uh, the traditional mindset would say we've lost is that ability to play without supervision, to to make those mistakes, to learn those rules together, even if it isn't always neat and even if it isn't always fair, it's still, you know, when the kid was out of your sight for an hour or two, that's when they're learning to live together. And that's a the traditional mindset would argue that that's been lost with all of the oversight. Uh, we've already given reasons why there's benefits to having supervision, but the uh, traditional mindset would very much see this as a, as a, a loss. And, you know, one example to that, having taught in Germany for five years and having taught in grade four, which is the end of primary there, we would do a week-long field trip. We'd go to this kind of outdoorsy camp place called Vegscheide and we would have organized activities in the morning and then most afternoons from you know one o'clock after lunch till 5 30 6 o'clock close to dinner most days it would be this kind of unsupervised <laughs> traditional time now of course we're all on the property there are fences around the property students know where they can find us but for most of the students, especially in our modern world, and you know, most of these kids were coming from a more urban env environment anyways, to spend five hours out in the woods with their friends, without a teacher breathing down their back, and just have that choice <laughs> to do what they want in this natural environment, most of them would report back that that was like not only the highlight of grade four, that was the best part of school, and they had never had that anywhere else in their lives. 
and you know not to get overly traditional romantic but it's like oh yeah i get that i remember when i had a trip like this in grade six in canada and yeah that still stands out as like those few hours together with my friends you know knowing that the teachers were there if we needed them but they weren't watching us at least as far as we know uh you know those are some pretty special times as a kid indeed indeed one of the other i guess complaints about how the mainstream deals with its breaks is it's so tight and efficient they're they're cut down to the very minimum and in and in their less healthy aspects it is like how short can we make these breaks and still have the kids be able to function and i hear this especially in, in some middle schools and even high schools of like the breaks are just a transition between your rooms almost it's like there isn't really that outside time to play and relax. There's no downtime. And again, both the traditional and very much the progressive would say, you know, you're trading their, their freedom, their choice, their health, their wellness for an, an extra five or 10 minutes of that class, that, that learning time. Um, and the, the trade isn't worth it, whereas the, the mainstream, as we've seen, with its sometimes obsessive focus on those um, standardized test scores, um, certain times of year, you know, there isn't enough time to take a 30-minute break every day or do sports or art. <laughs> and it seems like this strange contradiction that from the mainstream mindset, we would never keep a kid in for punishment if they've done something wrong, but we could totally keep them in if we need some extra time for them to cram for the standardized state exam that's coming up in two weeks. Yeah, and that's certainly not a, a healthy and balanced approach. And, and most mainstream schools will openly admit that too, but the system may force them into making some of those decisions to meet their own quotas and, and targets. Um, I guess while we're on this same subject, the more progressive educators will just say, well, everyone just stops at 10, 10 o'clock, regardless of what you're doing. And they all go outside for 30 minutes, everyone. And then they all come back in and then they move on to a totally different subject. It's like, does that happen anywhere else in the world in any other context? It's like, what if a kid wants a break at 10 or 10.30 or wants to eat a their snack at 11.15 or needs a nap or wants to draw for four hours or is like totally into something that means that they're, that they need the whole afternoon. Um, and this is a progressive educator would say that's, you know, that student centered approach allows for the richness of the education. And, uh, you know, the counterpoint from the mainstream would be, no, no, this is the efficient model to get as much good learning out of them um, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to, to Mr. Progressive over there, Rob. The schedules, both in class learning and quote unquote, out of class learning should be tailored towards the students needs, as opposed to the timetables needs or the duty schedules needs, these sorts of things. Um, I would even argue, I would even argue in a traditional school, it would flip to where the teacher would want to make that decision. So there may be a bell, there may be, you know, um, a time for the end of lessons. But if 
you know what? If we need an extra five, 10 minutes, then that's what we're going to take. Um, similarly, a break time, you know, if I need a few more minutes before break ends, I'm going to take it. Strawmanning a little, but in my own experience, <laughs> definitely lessons that run on 10, 15, 20 minutes longer or break times that just magically lasted for, for hours. <laughs> uh, all at the teacher's kind of... Um, uh, kind of discretion, which would be, again, a traditional school would put a lot of that autonomy on the teacher to make that decision. Yeah, one small anecdote, I only found it years later, uh, speaking to some people who were teachers at my school when I was a student there. They said, oh, yeah, well, you know, come springtime, if the weather was pretty nice, you know, this is Canada, spring is important to us when you've survived through like a horrible winter. And they said, you know, there would be just some afternoons when it was nice in the spring that the principal would just turn the bell off and he would come out and like rotate some staff members off so they could have a little extra break and it's like oh magically seventh period just disappeared okay eighth period one last period <laughs> but that could be on the school-wide level as well though i would argue this school i attended was definitely much more mainstream hints of early progressive leaning some of those more traditional kind of, ah, let's just do this. Things can pop in here as well. One thing that we didn't do, get into directly when talking about the traditional mainstream difference about this break time is the idea of uh, break time for the teacher at the same time as break time for students. A traditional leaning teacher in a mainstream functioning school may still see their break time, even when they're out on duty, as their break time and see it as a chance for them to catch up with the other staff members who are out there on duty and this sort of thing. But that is something that's going to be really frowned upon and potentially legally liable within this mainstream system that says, no, 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 kid gets hurt, you didn't see it, or this student is bullied, or there's some sexual assault and it was happened in your area and you didn't notice that like you're going to be held to the nth degree on this thing. Now that is not a bathwater, but I just wanted to hit on this idea that just because it is student break time in the mainstream school, it is definitely not necessarily teacher break time. And one of the ways that we can see this play out is students are out on break and yeah, you know, maybe there are two, three, four staff members, well, there are the other 15 in the staff room. And actually, this is the time the school is going to sneak in a little additional uh, staff meeting in or, you know, possibly like mandatory work. And this idea that, yeah, you might not be teaching. And yes, the students might be involved in their activities or clubs, um, but maybe you're leading one of those clubs. Maybe you have to, you know, have your time now to collaborate with someone else and you're not going to be given time during teaching time to do it, all this sort of stuff. There is this idea that once the students are out of the room, this is not a break time for a mainstream teacher. This is the time where you like have to get a lot of things done. And in the long term, this can be a rather exhausting and non-restorative fact of student break life. Yeah, absolutely. And in a, a mainstream school where maybe there's an expectation to mark books in a specific way, Teachers will be sat with piles of books during their lunch break. And don't I need a break too as a teacher? It's like, I've just been with my classes for like three hours. 
and I got to mark books during this time. And three of those days, I don't even get that break because I'm outside on duty. But the two days where I get it, I'm sitting there marking books and so on. And this is kind of the, it's the squeeze of the mainstream system, isn't it? Squeezing the, the opportunities it looks for all come at a cost. You know, nothing comes for free. So yeah, we're adding more. We're, we're giving more opportunities to everybody but most of it comes from the time of the teachers. And so I said this a lot. What are the job are you in where they're like, yeah, three of your lunch breaks this, like in any given week, you're going to have to do something totally different, just like supervising something. And then on the other one, can you teach yoga? <laughs> it's like, uh, or robotics or, or cartooning or football. It's like, sure, that's all part and parcel of working in a school. And it is fantastic and great opportunities, but it, it is also an expectation that takes the time and energy of teachers that are already very busy in many cases. Or, hey, music club teacher sick, could you go run that for the next 45 minutes at break time? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got to stay on campus as well. So yeah, you've got your lunch break, but you can't go anywhere because if there's an emergency, we need like a certain number of our staff. <laughs> wow. That's school for you, Rob. That's mainstream school for you. I think we did it. We were a little skeptical Yeah, that we'd be able to pull this off and discern and tease apart what it is that makes a mainstream break. But I don't know, self-assessment here at a 10, how did we do? I think we did. We got at least a B. I, I just, I thought it was a tricky one, as I said at the beginning, to pull it apart and see how mainstream does differ in its actions from, especially traditional. We're going to progressive um, at some point in the future. But yeah, hopefully, listener, you've, um, you've agreed with how we pulled these kind of uh, systems, these mindsets apart. And uh, yeah, let us know if we missed anything. Absolutely. Next up on the docket in our next episode, looking at the mainstream approach to kindergarten or early years or reception tends to be given different words in different countries. But this idea of the school that's within the school, but it's not quite school yet, even though it is totally school. Mm, interesting. Well, I'll see you in two Earth weeks then, Robert, for that. Bless. Looking forward to it. And Bye. If you are looking for the Reinventing Education Nutshell Glossary, it's coming up next. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Rob. And now time for the Reinventing Education, three types of school in a nutshell. If you're new to us, hopefully this is a helpful guide to navigate some of the terminology we use on our podcast. All right, so every school and every educator is in a tug of war and we're pulled in three different directions. Each of the three directions has its own definitions about what makes for a good education. But this tug of war is difficult to notice because the three directions to education each use the same vocabulary, but each of the three directions has their own definitions for what that vocabulary means. So let's characterize these three approaches with the following names, traditional, mainstream, and progressive. And let's connect each to its relationship between a student and teacher. So traditional uses a master and apprentice model. Mainstream uses coach and athlete model. And progressive uses a counselor and counseled model. Now these three approaches to education 
would agree on the surface that education has the same three aims. Those three aims of education are for occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. However, each of the three approaches to school, traditional, mainstream, and progressive, has completely different ideas about what occupational preparation, cultivation of citizenship, and self-development requires. So how does each of the three approaches to education meet the three aims of school? Well, with traditional master and apprentice, we see that the teacher is an expert and knows the one best way for students to achieve academic success and meet the three aims. In the mainstream, the Olympic coach and athlete model, the teacher works to assess and create each student's individual optimal way, balancing the effectiveness and efficiency to achieve maximum academic success in relationship to the curriculum to meet those three aims. And finally, the progressive, the counselor and counseled. The teacher and student negotiate the student's path to achieve their goals for academic success to meet the three aims. Each teacher will have a preference towards one approach, while the school itself may have an overall consensus, and this is where you'll find the tug of war. These three approaches not only define how an education is conducted in the classroom, but it also informs three different directions in terms of a school's organization, its culture, and its practices. The traditional master and apprentice requires a clear pyramid of authority, prioritizing security along with duty and tradition, putting trust in those in authority to uphold their duty for the integrity of the system. The mainstream coach and athlete uses a flowchart with a mobility for all, which serves as a flexible meritocracy of authority prioritizing achievement along with measurable progress and transparency towards meeting specific goals, putting the results of those in authority as important for the integrity of this system. And finally, Progressive Counselor and Counseled uses horizontal leadership like a circle prioritizing inclusion along with individuals' needs for meaning and empowerment putting the personal and group significance as important for the integrity of the system. We often see tugs of war between how to organize the overall structure, either reinforcing the pyramid, a flowchart, or a circle. Each of these three types of school can be done well, somewhat effectively, or poorly, and each can suit a specific context better than the rest. Here on Reinventing Education, we believe it's better for a school to choose the type of school that best suits its students, staff, and community context, and do it to be high-functioning. Otherwise, the ongoing tug-of-war between the three approaches comes at the expense of time, resources, passion, and relationships, while not even ensuring that any of the three approaches is done well. Here on Reinventing Education, we are exploring the idea of the next type of school, a post-progressive approach to education that prioritizes the integration of these three previous types of school. Why? Well, an integration approach would seek a flexible and adaptive balance of the three previous approaches as an adaptive approach to inquire into and provide what is deemed a best fit for students, community, and the system in a given context to best meet those three educational aims of occupational preparation the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development as defined by those involved. The integration value attempts to maximize the gifts when appropriate of each approach to education while discerning how to minimize unnecessary drawbacks 
that are required when in wholly investing in doing one approach. In order to integrate the gifts of the three previous types of school, we need to know what we have to work with. So on our podcast, we're digging deep into these three types of school and trying to tease apart the babies and the bathwaters of each one.